Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Bring, bring it back. Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi, I'm Zach. You can find me on Twitter at ZachForster underscore for Liverpool FC-based ramblings. And hi, I'm Dan, Arsenal fan. You can get me on Twitter at the underscore jersey underscore fits. All right, thanks so much for joining me today, guys. Zach, because it's been so long. And Dan, because you're actually recording this while the Arsenal match is happening, thanks to the uh, time zone change uh, this week. So big thanks to both of you for sacrificing. Uh, We'll start off by talking about the amount of goals that are being scored in the Premier League right now. Currently 3.58 goals per match, which is way higher than the record for a season, which was 2.82 back in 2018-19. We'll just start off by asking... What factors do you think are leading to this huge increase in goals this year? I mean, obviously, there's been people debating whether it's the fact that there's no fans or just that VAR intrinsically is going to boost that number up. But but why do you guys think it is? Um, so I think I think the most important factor is VAR. Um, the amount of penalties that are, are being given and also the handball rule, rule change is also going to boost that up as well. So the, I think the amount of penalties... In, in, I haven't actually got the stats, but it must have gone up. You saw the Fabinho one yesterday, um, I assume, with against Sheffield United. Mm. How that's a penalty, I have no idea. But with VAR, obviously, that's that's been given. Um, oh, by the way, I know it's the referees, not the technology. Um, I'm not one of those guys. Um, mm. But yeah, I think that I think the main the main thing is is the rule changes that have come in in the last like year or so. And uh, to be honest, the defending the Premier League's obviously been on a, a downward trend for some time now, even. Teams like Liverpool and City, who in, re- who in recent years have probably been the standard bearers for um, sort of like tight defences um, with that possession-based football, the, the, they're they're conceding goals in, in bucket loads at, at the moment. So I think I think the defending the league is also just going through a bit of a rough patch, to be honest. Uh, yeah, I would look into the penalty numbers because that's an obvious um, change that could contribute to that uh, if they've increased. But again, that's an obvious spot, and the handball rule would that make sense for it to increase. Um, as well as VAR. Beyond that, um, I'm not really sure. I'm less of the opinion the defending it, or at least when defending is bad to like people go back to the early 2000s, which I, I don't know. I've seen those games and some of the goals that are conceded there is like much worse than goals that can that are conceded today. So I don't know if it's like, I don't know if the defending or if it's just a weird run that'll even itself out. I'd be more interested to see if it goes on for the entire season, um, because obviously you know, small sample, but I believe the expect the like expected numbers are also up. So it's not just a random finishing run. So something is changing. Um, penalties seem to be the obvious explanation. Um, if indeed they are, they have increased, um, beyond that, I don't have a great answer. I'm not entirely sure. Maybe that's actually a good point that you make, um, in terms of XG going up because may- maybe the analytics that's coming into the game in recent years is allowing people 
is allowing coaches to better train attackers in taking on higher quality chances rather than pot that shots has, from the edge of the that box. That has absolutely happened. I know there, yeah. there's been a whole, or people have shown um, the number of shots from outside the box has gone down significantly in the last yeah. like five to 10 years. Yeah. Um, that has absolutely happened. I think shots as a whole have gone down, but the quality of shots has gone up so significantly that it outweighs it. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. I remember there was quite some time where uh, Ericsson was still leading in goals from outside the box even after he left. Um, do you think in general more goals is better for the game? Obviously in American sports there have been a lot of rule changes basically throughout to make scoring more prevalent to in theory make the game more exciting. Do you think you can just kind of copy that over to the Premier League and more goals equals better entertainment or do you think it's a little bit more nuanced than that? Um. I'm not entirely sure. I think well, f- football is like a low-scoring game. Um, I feel as if too many sort of like seven-two results, like Aston Villa and Liverpool, and then six-one uh, between Tottenham and United. I think too many of those in a short space of time isn't great because it sort of takes away the um, sort of like the surprise factor and the wow factor from a result like that. So like the rarity of it is what makes it amazing. Though those sorts of you know circumstances. Um, obviously though. We we tune into football to watch goals, so I'm I'm not, I'm not gonna like reject goals. I w- probably do want more goals for entertainment. I just think like too many of those big results, um, sort of like waters down the the wow factor of it a little bit. Yeah, I think as a general rule, um, more goals is good. There is definitely a point where that uh, is no longer the case, but I don't think we've reached that yet. So yeah, I'd say as a general thing more goals does make a more entertaining product and therefore a better one. Um, so yeah, it's positive. I, I agree with like Zach in the idea of it. Like if, if we're getting seven twos all the time then that makes them less exciting, but um, I don't think we've, I, like I said, I don't think we've reached that point. So I think it is an improvement. Uh, I think it's a positive thing for the game. Yeah. A side effect of there being so many goals and those weird score lines like the seven two, which you've both mentioned now is that there are two clubs that have conceded the most goals in matches thus far this season in the premier league, uh, Liverpool, whose manager probably safe Fulham, whose manager maybe a little bit less so in Scotty Parker. Uh, obviously he's kind of the, the man whose name seems to be most on the chopping block. Do you think he'll be the first manager to go this year? Um, a hundred percent. I'm actually fear, really fearful for Fulham that they're, they're going to break Derby's eleven-point record. Um, they look so poor. Um, I, 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 to be honest, I've no idea how they came back up. Um, a lot of people do point towards Parker as, as doing a good job last season, but I, I'd be very surprised if he's in the first to go. I, I'm struggling to think of someone else who is as much in danger. Um, if I'm honest. Yeah, I think he's definitely the favorite. Steve Bruce is probably the other name I'd bring up if Newcastle yeah, go job. and lose like three or four in a row because he's just that that job is always kind of a precarious position. But I think Parker's a pretty clear favorite. Uh, and as far as how they came up, I think they had pretty mid-table numbers in the championship last season. But you know, it's the championship qual- uh, quality difference is so it's not quite vast between the top and the bottom. But a lot of times, teams with middling numbers can come up, but they do often. Struggle in their first season in the Premier League, um, as it looks like it will be the case for Fulham, because they are, they are really bad. They look really awful. Um, I, outside of Mitrovic, I'm not sure how many like Premier League quality players they have, and I, I really don't know how they're going to stay up. Um, it'd be, I'd be very impressed if they do. Yeah, so we obviously had Russ on before the season started talking about Fulham, and apparently the the Parker Ball style really helped them come up last year, uh, which was a little bit more 
on the defense-focused side. Obviously, the defense not putting up too much of a job. And Dan, you mentioned uh, Mitrovic up front being being one of their few Premier League quality players, but he's really caused them to be worse. Yes, their play style hasn't been good, but he's missed at least five clear chances that I've seen him have. Um, and that's that's really just not going to get it done when you aren't creating as many chances uh, as as perhaps your opponent and letting in chances going the other direction. I, I do think they made some really good signings again. You know, I was really excited to see Joakim Anderson play for them, but, you know, he went out with an injury before he ever played for them. Um, yeah, definitely not looking good for them, and you'd imagine uh, that it, it could be Parker's head uh, that's easier to sever than than most of the squad. So, yeah, I'd definitely be worried for him. Do, do you think there are any other managers that are kind of in that hot seat territory? I know you mentioned uh, Steve Bruce there, but, you know, if, if Manchester United continue to dwell in the teens in the table, could we see kind of an early trigger like with Pochettino last year? I, I'm not entirely sure. Um, they, it would have to be dependent on them having someone lined up straight away. So unless they're talking to someone in the background, I think I feel as if they're just using Ollie as a lightning rod at the moment to sort of like. Obviously, Woodward gets a lot of um, a lot of flack as well, um, especially on social media. Um, but I feel as if like not too many. I was actually speaking to to a United fan yesterday, and he was saying that no one is going to get too up in arms against Ollie because he's a bit of a legend, obviously, with the club. So it's sort of, it's sort of like if Liverpool put Kenny Dalglish in charge, like we did do a few years ago. No one, even if the results are poor and we finished eighth that season, um, in his in his full season, Got a league cup nobody was really. Yeah, yeah, we won a trophy and we got to the FA Cup final, but obviously the league position is not good enough, and no one was sort of like up in arms about it because it's Kenny. Um, I feel as if this, the same situation is at United and they're just biding the time to get a high-quality manager. Whether or not that would be someone like Pochettino, I don't know. Um, I, I can tell, uh, I can say as well, coming from Manchester, a lot of City fans are um, upset with Guardiola at the moment. I'm not saying he's going to get sacked because he's obviously got so much credit in the bank, but a lot of, a lot of them are extremely frustrated with Guardiola at the moment. Yeah, I think... Uh, I can... I want to say Ollie would be a decent chance to get, a decent option to get sacked, but it doesn't feel like they actually want to do that. Like, I agree with Zach. I think like I don't know what the reasoning is for it. Uh, if it's the fact that he's like a lightning rod and all that, but uh, it doesn't really feel like they want to do it. And I do think he did like an okay job last year. Um, so I don't know if he'll be an early season sacking. I think if he if he goes, it's because it's really bad around like December time. Um, I do still like my Bruce shout. I think that's, as I said, that job's always kind of always changing, really, with everything going on at that club. Um, and Bruce is always, I don't know, that's always felt like he was kind of a stopgap. I was pretty surprised he made it through last year. I was expecting him to go then. Um, so maybe he's just a survivor and survives again, but I think he's a decent shout. Um, and I don't think there's any way Pep gets sacked. Um, I, um, uh, but I would not be surprised if he like resigns at the end of the season. Um, yeah, they look bad. Like, they look. Yeah. This is looking like the worst Pep team ever, and I'm not sure it's close. Yeah, like last season, they they were they were losing games or drawing games, but missing chances. Now they're just not creating anything. Their XG is like one per game of that. It's, yeah, I don't it's think, really I strange. Think, I think I saw they haven't created more than two or two or more in any of the games this season, uh, which is shocking. Um, and like last season, there were lots of games they lost because it looked like the players just were kind of like checked out and or I don't know that's that's harsh, but like not not checked out. But sometimes they would just show up and well not show up. Um, and I it was 
a lot of, I mean, I was thinking they'd bounce back this season, um, but they've not only not bounced back, they've got worse. Um, and that seems like, you know, maybe the cycle is ending. That's, I, it doesn't feel that premature to say that. Like, I definitely think he could, this could be it. Now maybe we could totally turn it around and I look like an idiot in three months, but um, I don't know. We've never seen Pep have to do that before. So we'll see if he can. Yeah, the the city one definitely seems strange, and they have had a weird mix of things like Aguero not being there, and then coming back, and then immediately getting hurt. But the, it it just kind of feels like the magic is gone. Um, so yeah, I agree with you guys. It, it's unlikely that he'd just be sacked, but I'm I'm not sure I see him uh, lasting past the end of the season, and then time will obviously tell if he if he lasts through it. But it sounds like not a whole lot of managers that everybody's concerned right now. And I assume part of that is because of some of the weird results and some of the, the crazy scorelines that we've seen. I think it's it's a lot harder to pin somebody to a certain result uh, this year than it was last year. Like when, when Southampton lost that that big match last year, a lot of people were like, well, you have to let Hasenhutl go after a result like that. This year, obviously, we've seen some crazy results like that, and that really hasn't been the public reaction. So... Yeah, it's interesting that that list seems so short and that some of the names are at such big clubs. Yeah, we'll take a second now to talk about the the defense. Obviously, we mentioned that maybe that's not the the problem with, with what's leading to all of the goals, but I did just want to talk to you guys some tactically because we've seen some clubs whipping out the three at the back again, which was so on vogue a few years back. Uh, obviously, some some natural fours, some split-sided wing-back stuff where one will bump forward and one will stay back. So I just wanted to talk to you guys some about how your team is setting up defensively and what weaknesses that system has. Um, with Liverpool, it's sort of the same as last year. Um, with the introduction of VAR, um, Klopp really reverted to this sort of really high line, um, which is which allows us to compress the midfield and gives our pressing game a boost. Um, that's pretty much continued this season. Obviously, Aston Villa absolutely absolutely showed that up completely. Like the timing of every run just seems to be absolutely impeccable. Every every pass over the top was landing, um, and we got absolutely thumped. Um, in terms of sort of like weaknesses, um, obviously, if you can break our pressing midfield during a counter attack, uh, and our fullbacks have probably gone forward, there's going to be a lot of space. And then, obviously, we had the Van Dijk injury um, during the Everton game, which is he's sort of like our talisman, um, of course, which leaves a massive aerial weakness i think uh matip does have really good aerial dual numbers but he's made of crisps so i expect him to get injured any minute now um joe gomez is not quite as good in the air and that's definitely some like somewhere to to um to exploit if you're an opposition manager uh fabinho's slotted in quite well there um unlucky to give a penalty away yesterday um and has played pretty well um in midweek against ajax goal line clearance was amazing um but yeah, just generally the same Liverpool as last season in terms of um, get you know try and get us on the counter attack if you can get around the press, and then if you can if you have got the players that can sort of exploit that space in behind, as Aston Villa did, then you're um, you've, you've definitely got a chance because we we do give a lot of chances away as seen with the amount of goals we've conceded, 14. It's incredible for this stage. Yeah, so a fun time to ask that question for Arsenal because we've played three at the back. Um, for a while now but um as we said we're recording as they're currently playing Leicester and it looks like it's more of a four back right now so that's mm. that's a development key following this is part of his first start so if there is like a clear reason for why that would change um 
So uh, I'll try to keep watching the game as it goes. But um, for, for what we've done in the past, um, it's been a three back with Kieran Tierney's always been, well, when he's fit, has been left center back. And he's kind of played as an overlapping center back when we're in possession and then as a traditional third center back when we're out of it. Uh, and Bakayo Saka's slide in left wing back. And he's kind of had a, an interesting little free roll in that position where he's in out of possession, he's a wing back, but in possession, he can be pop up anywhere as like a left midfielder, attacking midfielder, a winger. He really gets a lot of freedom of movement when we are in possession there. And then Tierney kind of fills his left back, like what would be a left back in a four back formation um, when he gets to go move around uh, further up the pitch, which is very interesting. Um, then Central center back, it looks like Gabriel, the new signing, has made that position his own. Um, he is now starting there over David Luiz, which is a pretty impressive step because uh, David Luiz, as much as he obviously has some games where he's absolutely atrocious, he's, he also has a lot of games where he's very solid as a central center back, and he provides a lot with his um, ball-playing ability uh, from that position. Then in the, the right center back, it's just kind of whoever's been there. It's been a lot of Rob Holding, and now it's been um, David Luiz since Gabriel has taken over the central center back slot. Uh, that's probably the weak point of the defense um, because the players just aren't as good. Uh, Gabriel, like I said, looks great, and David Luiz is inconsistent, and Rob Holding is just kind of bad. Um, so, yeah, the right center back is definitely the weak point. Obviously, all of this could uh, be changing if we now decide to go 3-4-3 three, three with uh, Thomas Partey in the team, but that is how we've been doing it. Um, and quite frankly, I don't mind it. I think it's made us much more solid defensively. Um, it may have taken a bit away from our offensive game, but uh, defensively, it's really covered for some of our lacking uh, individual defenders and made us reasonably solid. Yeah, just kind of touching on that, Dan, I remember seeing a stat a while ago uh, that was an Arsenal fan talking about how long it had been since Arsenal had conceded multiple goals. And obviously a lot of the social media replies were, oh, so you haven't kept a clean sheet in exactly that many games. Uh, do you think that that is good, though, trusting that, that your attack can score you at least two, that holding opponents to one goal is probably enough? Yeah, it's about it's, it's actually getting about getting the attack that can score at least two. But in theory, yeah, if we have if we can get the attack going um, to where we're consistently scoring to a game, holding opposition to one consistently is great because that's you know a win. Um, and like obviously, clean sheets are great, um, but we're we are at, we are not at the point of development where in the team where we should be like absolutely demand. Obviously, you want clean sheets, but it's not like if we're not getting a clean sheet, we're just nowhere near the expectation like the expectations shouldn't be that high um so if we can you know start a, usually solidly conceding one a game then that's progress based on what we've done um in past years gotcha well obviously we'll keep an eye on that arsenal defense throughout the season and see how it performs and like you say if the attack can kind of catch up for them uh i did just want to touch on the everton result today obviously they were the last winless team this season they end up not winning um uh, they end up losing 2-0 obviously with another red card um this time for lucas dina or however you're supposed to pronounce his name um but i was just curious to get a take from you guys every year obviously this is a pretty early version but every year a team falls that looks set to uh kind of challenge the invincibles that arsenal obviously had last year's liverpool challenge lasting a bit longer than everton's this season but every year that we go by without a team getting there does that make arsenal's more impressive or do we just kind of view it as a different period in, in premier league history um i don't know if you, if you need to sort of like reevaluate it every season because it's 
you know, how many games in now? We're like six. So, like, I wasn't even thinking about Everton or whoever going <laughs> invincible this year. But um, d- definitely, like, I think it's I think it's absolutely incredible. I think I was absolutely devastated when we didn't get it last year because it's one of those things you I think you only get, like, one chance to, to do that. And that was Liverpool's chance last season to do it. Obviously, it's, it's, it's so difficult to maintain standards once you've already won the league, especially by that margin. Um, but, yeah, I, I think... I think sort of when when someone threatens to beat it, so like last season there was a lot of talk about it because Liverpool were getting quite close. That's when you sort of add the prestige or keep adding the prestige for that that particular achievement. I, I think it's absolutely incredible. I think it's the biggest achievement in in like the Premier League since since its inception, basically. Um I think the only thing that like sort of comes close to Invincibles. Obviously Invincibles and you and you win the league. I, it, being invincible and then like getting 38 points is obviously completely pointless but the only thing that can come close I think is, is like is a treble with the FA Cup and the Champions League I think the Invincibles is just awesome I was so devastated when we didn't get that gold trophy <laughs> yeah um, it's interesting because uh, I, I seasons like this I don't even as I said, as like with Zach, I don't even really think about it um, unless someone is really threatening it. I think every time a, a truly great team, like the um, early Pep City teams and like um, last year's Liverpool team, when they are so close, uh, not even that close, but you know, closer than most to getting it and then fail to, I think that is almost what uh, makes it more impressive than just you know seasons like this where um, everyone's already lost and we're only six weeks in. It's not that that but it's an, another year going by and no one getting it, so that is in itself somewhat impressive. But I really think it's when you see the great teams, because um, I really do think um, last year's Liverpool team is one of the best. As with um, Pep City teams, they're truly incredible teams who honestly I think like have a decent chance of beating the Invincibles. Um, if you know that's not really how anything works, because there's all kinds of different things you can't qualify for. But you know, in a theoretical time machine game. I think they might be like a better team, but it, in terms of an achievement, the Invincibles achievement is unmatched. Um, and like, there's a de- pretty decent chance that uh, no one gets it anytime soon. Um, you know, law eventually it'll probably happen, but that may take you know till we're no longer here. Like, it's it, that record could stand for a very, very long time. Mm. I think that the um, the thing that makes it more likely is the these potential deals that the Premier League are talking about, well, not the Premier League, but like Liverpool and United basically are talking about, you know, like projects, big picture and dividing the, you know, the um, the prize pool even more in their favour. Like if a team ends up getting like eight times more TV revenue compared to say a Burnley and we really start to see sort of like a, a Juventus style winning of the Premier League every season by one of these teams. I think that's when it might get threatened, but that's obviously like probably decades away. Well, hopefully it's decades away because I, I don't <laughs> yeah, want to see the big teams run away yeah. anymore. Yeah, personally shocked that neither of you considered Everton challengers for uh, going undefeated in week six. But uh, <laughs> surely a hater all you want, Everton fans. <laughs> Sorry. You, I actually don't. They, they like probably the believed it. I actually quite <laughs> they... like the team this season, but uh, no, yeah, you weren't going invincible. And I don't think that many people thought that, but I, at least I hope not. <laughs> yes, obviously the the golden road has has come to an early end, but uh, surely Everton are in for a much better season than their past few, despite falling short of, of the invincible mark. All right, we'll take it. A... Get to pop the champagne early this year. It's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Keep <laughs> no the champagne on ice. 
<laughs> All right, we'll take a quick break and then we'll be back with club specific questions for each of our guests. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. All right, and we are back. Zach, we'll start off with you. Sorry to do this to you uh, a week later, but last week's show, uh, we discussed what the possible solutions would be for uh, replacing Virgil van Dijk, obviously, after his ACL injury. We have the answer to that now. Fabinho starting at center back in the two matches you've had since against Ajax and Sheffield United. Um, how do you feel about that as the solution? And then what does that do to the midfield if he does indeed drop back? Uh, yeah, so the the injury to van Dijk is, as you just said, is sort of like a double double whammy for us because it weakens the midfield and we, horrendously weakens the um, the defence. Um, the Fabinho solution is, is is a fine one uh, in terms of his ability. I've I've I'm not really worried about that. Um, I would rather Matip was there just because he's obviously a specialised centre back, and then we can get Fabinho back in in the DM role. But if Fabinho has to play there another, I don't know, forty times or whatever this season in in, in all the different competitions, and I'm not overly worried. I mean, we're obviously going to concede more and give up more chances than if Van Dijk was there. But at the same time, we've got better reserve centre-backs and Joe Gomez is the other starting centre-back than most teams in Europe do. I think I don't think that's unfair to say. I think like Matip, Gomez, Fabinho is still a pretty good group compared to many of the other teams um, around Europe in the Champions League and, and also in the Premier League, as we've already discussed, defending is not, is a, well, defending, whether it's defending or, or attacking is getting better. Um, I think we can probably say that Liverpool's defence is still probably as good, if not better, than anything in the Premier League. So I'm not overly worried in terms of like him being injured. It was more to the thing that killed me about the injury was the injustice of it, the fact that he didn't even get sent off. But that's a completely different story altogether. Yeah, you mentioned it weakening the midfield as well. What is your best midfield three now that he's out? Or I know you sometimes you roll out the the four two three one to counter certain formations. Um, I think probably the best the best three um, without Fabinho, I would probably go with um, Thiago in the six. Um, if he's fit, obviously he missed the Sheffield game because of that wacky tuck from Richarlison. Um, and then Henderson and probably Wijnaldum. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm a big Naby Keita fan, uh, but he's, he, the amount of injuries he's picking up and niggles, and obviously he was unlucky to get the coronavirus as well, so that's that's just another thing on the list. Um, I'd probably go with Keita, Henderson, and Thiago. I'd probably leave Wijnaldum out. Um, Henderson at the base? I think a, 
No, no, I'd probably say Thiago at the base. Mm. I'm not a massive fan of Henderson being at the base. I much prefer it when he's sort of more energetic and just sort of being a bit chaotic. Um, I don't think he's got... His passing has much improved in recent years, but I don't think he's got anywhere near the passing range of um, of Thiago. Well, pro- probably not a Fabinho either, to be honest. Um, if it was the case that we were playing a 4-2-3-1, as you mentioned, I probably would go with Henderson and Thiago in, in sort of like the double pivot. Um, but yeah, I'd sooner it was four three three with Thiago at the base, and then Henderson and Cater both sides if he's fit. But if not, why not him? Gotcha. With all of that in mind, do you think you're still title favorites? Do you think you're still in the race? Last week, it seemed like everybody said that this means that you won't win the title. But then, when pressed to to name the clubs that could surpass them, it basically just came back down to you and City again. I think we probably are still favorites. Um, after after the Everton game, I was so demoralized i had completely written written us off as well <laughs> but only because it's just the raw emotion of, of the game um i think we are probably still favorites if you look at it coldly i mean there's other teams there at the moment such as leeds everton villa but really and truly do we do any of us think they could last the course of a season i'm not i'm not sure the one thing that could go in any of those teams favor is the fixture list um we're already out of the league cup but obviously we have europe and it's 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 a condensed calendar. So with with sort of like Everton not being in Europe, that that could be a big factor. But then again, I still don't think their team's good enough to do it over 38 games. <laughs> it, it it would be it would be so sweet if Everton were actually in the title race and Liverpool would could just pip them and deny them. But I, I still think it's going to be the usual once once sort of you know once it all shakes out. I think the, think the usual the suspects will be at the top. I think Liverpool are favourites, yeah. Yeah, and I I do think it's funny that a week on Liverpool probably feeling better and City fans probably not. They probably assumed that the, like the Van Dyke injury could launch them back up there, and obviously a another fairly middling performance from them. So, yeah, I, I think Liverpool get get the uh, title of leaders in the clubhouse, and then it's just is anybody gonna gonna knock them off? But it'll certainly be interesting. And the Van Dyke thing obviously does does narrow the gap certainly from from how it ended last season all right dan gonna come to you now to talk about arsenal obviously you've gotten uh what one and a half games now of Partey, i suppose you already mentioned the formation shift earlier in the show but what other impacts do you think he'll have on the team um i hope he will improve our ability to get the ball to the final third um we don't really have a whole lot of creative players for him to get it to, but hopefully he can get to the likes of Saka and Bellerin and hopefully Ceballos can up his creative output uh, with party taking on more of the responsibilities uh, of actually progressing the ball to a final third. Um, I think that's, and then hopefully he will, uh, I don't know how much he'll help the defensive solidity. I think he'll help. Um, it's just kind of a matter of how much. Um, but yeah, I'm really looking forward to see because I did watch him in the uh, Europa League game on Thursday, and he is very good at dribbling. Um, he's very good at moving ball forward, makes some very good passes. Um, so I'm very, very um, excited to see how he gets on uh, in the midfield. And he does do a lot of stuff that we do lack uh, in terms of moving the ball forward. Like I said, the offensive team has been a real problem. So hopefully he can help a lot there, um, and hopefully he can. And his ability also enables others to you know get further forward and do more of the creative stuff. Um, that he may not be quite as good at. Um, so that's what I'm really expecting. I'm hoping the ball progression is really top tier. Um, that's how I think he could really work out for us. Um, and I'm, you know, here's to hoping that work that it works out that way. Yeah, we'll certainly well, keep. Um, you know, we're 25 minutes in, but it looks like Jaka is a third center back in 
are out of possession and a midfielder in possession. So Arteta's formations continue to be both fluid and kind of weird. But um, <laughs> you know, it, again, it's only 25 minutes, so maybe that's just not quite accurate or maybe something changes. I don't know. We'll see. Got a lot of the season to go to uh, make those conclusions. Yeah, you mentioned Jaka there, and we talked about him on your segment when you came on on deadline day to talk about how he and Partey could be used. Um, obviously, Jaka had the big controversy last season, had the captaincy strip, looked like he was out the door, people already linking to to future clubs and all of that. Obviously, he sticks around. What is the fan view of him at the moment? Is it basically just, if you do a good job, we'll like you again? Or, or is there always going to be a little bit of a rift after that? I actually think this is the best thing for him. I think his fan view is about as high as it's ever been. Um, he's a weird, like, kind of cult, not even cult hero. He's just, he seems, you know, from what I, the view I get into Arsenal Twitter and the Arsenal fan base in general, he seems quite well liked now. Um, almost more so than he did um, previously, which is, honestly, it's a really incredible story. The fact that he's been able to come back from this because I thought he was done. I really did. Um, there's not too many, uh, too many players who can come back from telling me fans to uh, F off. That's really not something you expect um, fans to be okay with. But I don't know. I guess a lot of people felt that he was kind of hard done by, um, that he got like a lot of abuse. Uh, so they kind of understood why he was doing it. And I, I still didn't think they'd bring him back, but they did. Um, and now he's playing every week. And he's playing at a reasonable level. Um, it's actually interesting. I think a lot of the really in progressive raking passes he did early in his career. I think that's kind of dried up a bit, but um, he makes fewer mistakes, um, which has improved his uh, reputation among Arsenal fans a lot. Uh, so as, as weird as it is, I really think um, the Palace incident was almost a good thing in the end. Um, seeing where we've gone, it honestly has made him more well-liked, um, at least to my eye, than he was previous. So a uh, really crazy situation, but that does seem to be how it's shaken out. Yeah, it's not usually the direction you would probably anticipate that going, but uh, certainly interesting that it's done that. Uh, And lastly, I just wanted to talk on Nicolas Pepe. Obviously, he doesn't start today as he rarely has this season, just the once, just the one goal this year after five goals and six assists last season. Obviously, a disappointment compared to the money, but are you still seeing enough of of glimpses that you think he can still make it to the top, top level that obviously you paid for, or is there starting to be growing concern within the fan base? Um. I don't know about the fan base from a whole, but I'm definitely concerned. Um, yeah, he's just, I don't know. There's a lot of, there's a lot of reasons to be concerned. He is so good at dribbling, but when he's not on the ball, he doesn't move that much. And he's just, he's never, he has not consistently got into, you know, really dangerous areas. Um, you know, he's not been from a goal scoring winger as much as, you know, dribbling past everyone and bending it into the top corner is cool. Um, and he can do that. That's not really the main way you want them scoring. You want them kind of like, you know, floating in and getting on the end of chances. Um, and he hasn't done that as much as is necessary. Um, so I, I am concerned about Pepe and I, I, he's clearly not a starter right now. Um, Arteta prefers Willian to him, or at least it appears. And, um, today it looks like Saka starting on the right wing over him as well. Uh, so I think the only way he gets in is for him to, uh, be favored over Willian and then have Lacazette drop out or a bombing drop out. Um, have one of them play striker, Saka the other wing. Uh, it's, I don't know, it's looking that rocky for him. doesn't feel uh, likely. No, no, it doesn't. Um, yeah, and like, I don't blame our, like, you know, sometimes you'll see a manager make a decision and have, 
you know, people will be really annoyed. Like, how are you favoring, you know, X player over Y player? That doesn't really feel like what this is. Uh, Pepe just hasn't been good under Arteta. Uh, he wasn't that great in Emery either. So, yeah, that's really worrying because we spent a lot of money on him and we kind of need him to be good, but he just hasn't been to this point. So uh, hopefully it turns around. But I, my optimism has definitely waned um, as the months have gone on. Yeah, we'll certainly see. And you'd think that the purchase of Willian was in part to kind of relieve some of the pressure on Pepe, get somebody in that can perform reliably for a year-ish. And yes, obviously the, the contract is backloaded, but the idea being to kind of take him out of the limelight, give him a chance to develop. But now it just feels like he's lost his spot. So uh, we'll see. Well, that's the other thing. If he was like 22 still, I would be I'd be feeling much better. But he's 25. Like mm. that's kind of, that's yeah, according to the research that's been done for attackers in... Um, Football, that's prime age. Like, you're supposed mm. to be producing now. So, if he was 22, I'd be like, okay, this isn't great, but I think there's more hope. Um, the fact that he's as old as he is is what's really, really bringing it to that next level of concern. Yeah, obviously a long string of failed wingers from France moving to North London um, on both sides of the divide. Uh, we'll move now into Player Watch, where I just want to ask you guys, which of your summer, air quotes, signings do you think will have the biggest impact on your season? Um, for Liverpool, I think there's only one choice, really. Um, Jota, he's already started really well. Um, got a couple of goals. Scored yesterday, the winner. Um, Simicast has played once, so seemed okay, but he's been injured ever since, so that's, you know, struggling to quantify that one. But definitely Jota, he's, um, he's fitting basically like a, like a glove. Um, an, in my opinion, an unbelievable backup. Um, I've never seen squad depth like this at Liverpool in in all the years of, of supporting. Um, I think that's definitely definitely our our you know our best signing. I think that's gonna especially with this condensed calendar and all the games a bit tighter together. I think having someone of that quality is really gonna give us an edge uh, in the hunt for trophies. Jota for what you guys paid for him was an absolute steal. He's really good, and I don't know why he went for that little. Yeah, he, he's so good. He's he, it doesn't feel like it actually doesn't feel like a downgrade to put him in um, above Mane if we need to rest Mane for any reason. I mean, against Ajax in midweek, we brought Minamino, Shakiri, and Jota off the bench to replace our front three, and that's like that's probably one of the, that's probably still one of the best front threes you could put out in the Premier League. It's definitely top six, maybe those three if you if you if you you know if you could perform. Regularly, obviously, Shakiri is quite injury prone, and Minamino doesn't get too many minutes. But that, that I think that's incredible squad depth. And Jota, as you say, for that price, he wasn't even on my radar as someone who I think Liverpool should sign. It just it just didn't pop into my head at all. And then obviously it came out the blue. And what a sign it's been! Unbelievable. Mm. Curious to hear you go him over Thiago, who you just put in probably your starting midfield. There, any particular reason why why Thiago falls short? Um. Tiago is obviously Tiago. I can't. He's an absolute dream. I can't actually believe that he plays for the team that I support. Um, but I just think that having a backup, our basically our backup in the front three was so downgraded when any of the front three missed out. So like Origi, for example, having to come in on the left, he's, he he has his purple patches, but he's not. He's not a great. If any of them got injured and we had to play him every week, I would not be convinced we we could compete for the for the league if he was playing up front 
every single week. Uh, it was an absolute miracle that we got past Barcelona a couple of years ago in the Champions League with him up front, and he, and he put in that performance as well. Like It just comes out of the blue, but he can't do it consistently. Um, having someone like Jota who can, who can give the other three a rest whilst maintaining the quality just makes the whole front three better because that means that the other front three that are being rested every now and then maintain freshness and fitness and health and that will make them perform even better as well. So obviously Thiago is, is is an unbelievable sign as well, in my opinion, for that price again. But he's he's more of a luxury. I think we were we were pretty well stacked in centre mid for players. Um, I think we just got Thiago because it was more of a an opportunistic, you know, signing. Basically, he was going for a small price, and he seems to want to come to Liverpool. So. You know, it's just, it's a toss up between those two. Also, mm. Thiago is a little bit injury prone. Um, he's been unlucky so far in the fact that he got coronavirus and then Richarlison tried to break his leg. But yeah, he can be injury prone. I think we know. I think we all know that from his time at Bayern. Mm. Um, I think I just think Jota shades it. Yeah, fair enough. And obviously, a great problem to have. <laughs> Harder for you to defend on a podcast, but in theory, for Liverpool, very good news that you signed two players yeah. uh, where it's that thin. <laughs> which one of them it's could awesome. have the biggest impact? Uh, coming to you now, Dan. Obviously, kind of a big name dominates the rest of the group, but uh, I guess talk to us more about Partey. <laughs> Uh, I guess it could be Gabriel. He's been really good, but um, I would hope it's Partey. I hope he's the one that's most impactful um, for us in the season. Uh, he kind of needs to be. I'm considering what we paid for him, but um, I don't know, he could be. He could come in and really transform our midfield. That'd be really great. Um, would be a big fan of that. I guess the other candidate would be William, but I. I mean, if it's, if William is most impactful signing of the three, uh, even just this season, that is not good for his signings uh, on the whole. Um, but I do think it's more between Gabriel and. Um, Partey, uh, I would I would expect it to be Partey because you know young defender. I would expect Gabriel to have some kind of dip this season, whereas Partey, I am expecting him to be good throughout. Um, that is kind of the expectation when you buy a twenty seven year or uh, I think twenty six year old um, midfielder. So again, it's it's early, and I haven't actually got to watch him that much because obviously it's we he hasn't played much for us yet. But I would hope he is most impactful. Um, he has a pretty clear path to being the most impactful. And I think he's a good, absolutely good enough player to be that guy. As much as, you know, if you listen to me on the last podcast, I wasn't a huge fan of the signing, and I think that's pretty clear in the way I'm talking about it. I do think he's a good player. I think he's a very good player. Um, so I think he absolutely should be the most impactful guy, and I could. there's very clear ways in which he will be that guy, just kind of improving our ball progression and making us hopefully a better team going both ways. Um, but I really think the way he, he'd help the most is if he can um, – move the ball into the final third and then like take the burden or take that burden off others and let them do more creative stuff so we can start uh, taking more shots. Gotcha. And yeah, I, I had somehow forgotten Gabriel who uh, you brought in seemingly to replace Alibaba, who you already had. Uh, you, he didn't go out on loan in the end, did he? Uh, God, it was, I do not believe he did. Um, I will double check that, but he was muted to go to um, a championship club on, uh, on loan, but then I just don't think it ever actually happened. Um, it's a really, really uh, bad, poorly managed situation on our part. Um, and yeah, he did not go out alone. He's still here. Um, I, I really don't know. I don't know when the decisions were made because it seems like if we wanted to loan him out, we you know had plenty of time to find a club to loan him to. Um, mm. And if we wanted to, and I don't know, maybe the lack of preseason, proper preseason anyway. Um, meant that determination but he wasn't ready came later but even then i don't know if we're not going to play him um i don't know why we didn't loan him out 
but uh, he's here for now. So hopefully, and he's only 19, so there's plenty of time for that sign to come good. Mm. Um, even if it's not a great start to it, uh, I still have, I will still have faith in him. Gotcha. Yeah, a touch younger than Pepe. Uh, obviously, both. A little bit. A little bit. Yeah. Um, all right. We will wrap up by going into match previews. Obviously, European football all around. Zach, we'll start off with you. Uh, what do you think we'll see in this Liverpool match against Midtjylland? <laughs> Thank you for introducing them and taking the burden <laughs> away from me. Yeah, I might be totally wrong, but um, you're welcome. <laughs> just hoping for a convincing win, uh, to be honest. They didn't do too well in their opening match. I can't remember the score now for the life of me, but I know they lost quite heavily. Um, just, I think the game's at Anfield. Obviously, the the victory away at Ajax is is obviously a massive, a massive one in this group. Basically, if you win your away games, we all know in the group stage it makes everything so much easier. And especially with our record at Anfield, even even without the fans, um, I think we can probably say that. We're going to win this one. Um, that that is basically all we need to do. Just just get the, the whole matches over the line. Um, probably going to see a bit of rotation as well. We've mentioned it already a few times, but obviously with the calendar the way it is, um, I think player fitness is going to play a major role in who gets the trophies at the end of the season, who finishes where. Um, hoping to see Nemino. Um, I think he, I think it's been a bit harsh with him at times. Like he doesn't seem to get the opportunity that other people get, but whether that's to do with with Klopp's sort of bedding in process where he, he tends to leave signings out for quite a long time. Like Fabinho and Robertson didn't play for a few months when they were signed. Um, ho- hopefully some more game time for Shakiri If he's um, hopefully staying fit and hopefully we can see Matip as well. Um, he missed the game yesterday um, with the twinge. Hopefully he's back because... We can't really afford any more injuries in that department. Um, and any any rotation with him and Fabinho would be would be very welcome, uh, especially if we can get Fabinho back in back in the DM role or rested. Um, yeah, just just hoping for a, for um, a comfortable victory, and no injuries. All right, and then coming to you now, Dan. Obviously, Arsenal have Dundalk in the Europa League midweek. Don't forget the time is different here in the uh, U.S. than there, so it'll be about an hour later than expected. Uh, but what do you think we'll see in this match? Um, I would hope to see some rotation. Uh, Dundalk, I believe they end up losing their uh, first group game. I know they were 1-0 up and 2-1 down. Uh, I assume that score held, but I didn't actually check it. Um, we had, we were able to win our first group game, though it wasn't the most convincing. Um, it was a weird game. It was almost like we were content with nil-nil until they actually scored, and we we're like, okay, we're gonna try and win this now, and we went and won it. Um, so that was it was a weird game, but we got three points, which is obviously crucial for advancing. Um, so hopefully we can. I would like to rotate the side a lot, um, and then hopefully still be able to get three points. That'd be. Um, very a, a big deal for both our Premier League and Europa League aspirations because obviously um, I, I believe in our ability to get through the Europa League group. It's not a particularly strong one, um, especially with three points already on the board. So I would like to be able to rotate the side so we can do a bit better in the Premier League and get the guys who need rest some rest because um, there's been a lot of people who have been playing a lot of minutes. So hopefully they can get rest. Specifically, uh, Kieran Tierney, who I didn't love playing in the Europa League game um, midweek considering his injury history. Um, as well as Hector Bellerin, who both, I, I think he's fine from his ACL tear at this point. Um, I think he's back. He's looked great this season. Um, but more just he plays a very taxing position, especially when um, 
He plays right wing back and is really expected to get very up and down. Um, so hopefully we can rest and win. That'd be nice. All right. Well, we'll see what goes on in Europe this week. That'll do it for this show today, though. So if you'd like to tell folks where to find you or anything you're working on, now would be a good time. Um, I haven't really got anything to be honest. Uh, just follow me on Twitter if you if you want to get some you know some Liverpool views, some Pickford hates as well. Um, that's that's been on the timeline this week. Um, <laughs> that's like Foster underscore. If you missed it at the start. And yeah, I'm still Dan. I'm still an Arsenal fan. And you can still get me on Twitter at the underscore jersey underscore fits. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for coming on again, guys. And folks at home, we hope you keep listening. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.